text, I want to invite you uh, to read with me from Luke's Gospel, beginning in chapter 2, and we'll read verses 25 through 35, and those verses will be on the screen here in just a moment, but before they are, I want to, want to set, set them up. Uh, we're going to read not about the birth of Jesus, but about the, the dedication of Jesus and really what follows that. So Mary and Joseph, after Jesus has been born, they bring him to the temple to fulfill the, the law of the firstborn, which which goes back to the dedication of the sons of Israel because of Passover. You remember Israel as a, as a country was enslaved in Egypt and nine plagues went through Egypt and the Pharaoh kept not allowing the Israelites to leave. So the tenth plague was the plague of the firstborn and all the firstborn sons of Egypt died, but the firstborn sons of Israel were spared leading to their freedom. But ever since that time, God had required that a a ransom price be paid, that remembering that God passed over their sons by the, the death of a sacrificial lamb, but really that wasn't enough to take away their sin. That, that a, a son would have to come, a human son, to bear the sins, that at some point a firstborn son would have to die, and that son is Jesus, and Jesus is being dedicated in the temple, and He's come to fulfill the law and to be the remedy for our sin. He came to deliver us through His perfect life and sacrificial death. And although many of the, the people in Jerusalem, the, the people in the temple precincts, many of the self-important and self-righteous missed the message, there was nevertheless a man in Jerusalem who didn't miss the message. And his name was Simeon. Would you hear with me the word of God? And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will, will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. A lot of text, but three basic points that I want to share with you tonight. First, Simeon discovered that Christmas means that God's comfort is available. Christmas means that God's comfort is available. When I, when I read this passage, I, I tend to focus on Simeon, but I don't want to overlook that it's the Holy Spirit who's mentioned three times in verses 25, 26, and 27. For approximately 400 years, it seemed as though God has gone quiet. Perhaps that His promises are in jeopardy. The, the people of God are subjected to pagan world leaders, and there had been no divinely inspired Scripture written for centuries. But suddenly, when Jesus shows up, the Holy Spirit is there, working all over the place. He motivates Elizabeth's words to Mary. He motivates the song of Zechariah. He overshadows Mary and conceives Jesus in her womb. And the Spirit, of course, in this 
silent period, had been working all along, pointing the true people of God back to His Word, back to His promises, and to seek the salvation that God had promised through His Son. And we know that this is true because because of Simeon. Simeon is a true son of God. We read in verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. The evidence of the Spirit's work in his life should be the evidence of the Spirit's work in our life as well. Do you see what happened in Simeon's life? He was righteous and devout, and he was looking for the consolation of Israel. His righteousness was not his own. It came from what he was looking to, what he was looking toward. Not himself, not for comfort that he could derive out of what this world offers, but he was looking for comfort in the Savior. Perhaps tonight you've come looking for consolation, for comfort. That word consolation in the English language doesn't quite communicate well what what is in view here. You may have heard of like a consolation prize. You know, you didn't get first place or second place. You're like Hobe playing me in ping pong. It just didn't work out. So somebody gave you a participation trophy. Brother, it's not even acknowledging me over there. I love it. This is not a consolation prize. It's, a, it's, it's true comfort. It's peace, joy, hope, and promise from heaven. Simeon shows us that all of this has come to fruition through Jesus. God had, a promised, he had promised an abundant and fruitful and peaceful kingdom to Israel if she would obey, but she couldn't obey. At every turn, she's falling back into idolatry and rebellion. And so God sent His Son to in a sense, recapitulate Israel, to obey in her place, to live in her place, and to die in her place, to pay the price of her sin and be raised so that she could have life everlasting. We read of this promise in Isaiah chapter 41 and 2. Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended. Her iniquity has been removed. She has received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. And all of that fell down on Christ so that we could have comfort from heaven. The Holy Spirit leads Simeon constantly to be looking for the comfort of God. We, in this world of sin, in this pandemic, we should be seeking comfort not from a vaccine, but from the victory that we find in Christ. In a world that seems so dark and cold to God's plan and purposes, the Holy Spirit, did you notice it? He leads Simeon to look for Jesus, and then he leads them into the temple right as his parents are coming in with Jesus. In a weary world, church, we can still rejoice. It is the Holy Spirit who enables us to look through and beyond our circumstances and to embrace Jesus as our strength and our consolation. So if you're here tonight seeking comfort in this broken world, I have good news. Jesus came to be broken for you so that you could know the comfort of God. Simeon found what he was looking for. He found the comfort of God. John Piper says this, The consolation is that God's anger is past. The consolation is that our Heavenly Father has a tender affection for us in our weakness. The consolation is that our sins are pardoned and cast into the depths of the sea, Micah 7, 19. And this is the consolation that Simeon sought and that Simeon found. And it is the consolation tonight, if you do not yet know Christ, it is the consolation that you can find in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Now for those of you who who have found God's comfort in Christ, I want to remind you that we're still seeking it. 
God's comfort has come and it is coming. We read earlier in our Advent reading from Titus chapter 2, verse 13, that we keep looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. The church, the community of the King, is not content with temporary fixes with iPhones and iPads and coffee. I'm looking forward to coffee under the Christmas tree. Hope there's some there. But these temporary things that we look forward to cannot ultimately satisfy our souls. And in a world that that wants to defeat us and to drag us down, we know the King. And we know that He has commissioned us to pray that His kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven and to labor unto that end and to seek not the things of this earth, but to seek the things of Christ. As Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. So as we come to the table and celebrate the feast of our King in just a few moments at the conclusion of this message, I want to remind you that we have received comfort and like Simeon, by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we are compelled to seek comfort. To seek comfort in the coming kingdom of God because our King did not stay in the grave. He conquered it. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He hears the prayers of His people and He is coming again and that is where we find Christmas means comfort is possible. Secondly, Christmas means we can die in peace. In verse 26, we learn the Holy Spirit had revealed that Simeon would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ, the anointed King of God. Yes, Simeon would die, but not until he saw, perceived, understood the Messiah. And sure enough, the Holy Spirit who had led Simeon to look for God's comfort, now leads him into the temple. And in verse 28, we read that Simeon took, he received, he welcomed, he embraced Jesus into his very arms. Jesus is salvation, and Simeon held salvation. And when he did, he understood he was holding that everything that God had promised. He was holding in His arms the forgiveness of sins, the end of death and disease and sadness, the end of the persecution of God's people. He was holding the arrival of a King who would rule and reign in righteousness and make all things new. What the, what the prophets had anticipated for centuries, Simeon is now holding in his very arms. Interestingly, the word Simeon, the name Simeon means literally God has heard. And he walks into the temple and he embraces Jesus because God had heard the cries of His people and He had sent His Son on a rescue mission. Verse 30 tells us that Simeon saw with his own eyes the substance of the Lord's salvation. In church, while we cannot physically see Jesus, we do see Him by way of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit that led Simeon into the temple to physically see Jesus wrote the words of God that we could, with our spiritual eyes, we could have them open to encounter and behold the risen living Christ. The Holy Spirit still is at work today through the hearing of the Word of God to open our eyes to understand our sin and our need for a Savior. It is often assumed because 
Anna the prophetess, the, the next character in the story, was old. It's often assumed that Simeon was also old, and he may have been, but the text doesn't actually tell us that. What it tells us is that he was righteous and devout and seeking the consolation of Israel, which he embraced with open arms, which is a picture not just of old Christians, right? It's a picture of all Christians. All Christians should be those who are willing to lay down whatever is in their hands so that they can embrace Jesus. You can't hold a baby and hold a bunch of other stuff. You've got to lay it down. So this Christmas Eve, whatever you bring into this room, unsettledness, anxiety, pride, anger, lust, greed, unforgiveness, a loose tongue, self-importance and self-justification, A lack of clarity and focus that Jesus is your Savior, your King, and your comfort. Why don't you, by way of the preaching of the Word and the Holy Spirit that is in this place, let Him lead you into the presence of Jesus and confront you with whatever it is you are holding that you need to lay down so that you can once again embrace Jesus, the comfort of the Father. Because here's the reality, church. We need to see and embrace Jesus because there's nothing else that would truly satisfy. In a room this size, there's got to be at least one who's, who's not seen their sin for what it is and has not encountered Christ and welcomed Him as Savior. And Simeon shows us that you need to see Jesus before you see death. That's the order that it needs to proceed. If you reverse the order, it does not end well. Everybody's going to see that Jesus is Savior. Everybody's going to see that Jesus is King and Lord of all nations. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it's only those who see their need for Jesus now and welcome Him as their Savior and resolve to follow Him as Lord who will be rescued and will know the love of God. So tonight, if you don't know Jesus... I urge you to let the Holy Spirit lead you into His presence. To lay down your sin that separates you from the love of God. And to welcome Jesus as your rescuer. And find comfort in Him. So that like Simeon, you can die in peace. Jesus is not just God's hope for Simeon. And He's not just God's hope for Israel, by the way. He is God's hope for the Gentiles. He's a light of revelation to the Gentiles. In verse 32, he tells us that Jesus is the glory of Israel, and he's a light of revelation to the Gentiles. What does it mean that Jesus is the glory of Israel? Israel's glory is not Jerusalem. It's not her territory. It's not Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's not the, the biological progeny of Abraham. The glory of Israel is the Son of God. The reason Israel is important is because they were the people of God through whom the Son of God would come so that all nations, not just Israelites, that all nations would be able to recognize Him. It's like God's highlighter. This is my Son. And now we can all, by way of the light of revelation that Jesus is, we can repent of our sin and be redeemed and rescued and have our sins forgiven. But the tone of this text shifts dramatically after this great declaration that there's going to be salvation available for the Gentiles through Jesus. 
And the tone shifts because the world will be divided by what they do with Jesus. Christmas means the comfort of God has come. Christmas means if we trust in Jesus, turn from our sin and trust in Him, that we can die in peace. And finally, Christmas means that we have a decision to make. In verse 33, Mary and Joseph are marveling at the news that Jesus is not going to be just a Savior, a savior of Israel, but He's going to be a worldwide Savior. And then suddenly, Simeon introduces some jarring language. Yes, Jesus is going to be a light of revelation, but not everyone's going to appreciate what the light reveals. Does anybody clean the inside of their windshield as infrequently as I do? I, I, I can see fine through my windshield, and then the sun angle hits it just the wrong way, and I see the muck and the grime and the smear, and I'm wishing that I had Windex and my paper towels with me. Anybody else ever done that? I Show of hands. Okay, great. Two of you. I appreciate that. <laughs> if you'd want to come to my house and clean my car, that'd be great. But the light, when the light hits in a certain way, you can see all the disgusting stuff that's on that windshield. So it is with Christ. The light of Christ reveals the nastiness, the yuckiness of our hearts. Everything that we say, do, and think that displeases God. A disposition that focuses on, uh, focuses on self and not on God. And so when the light comes, division also comes. Simeon says this, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and a, a sign to be opposed. Jesus will be a light of revelation, but His light will lead both to falling and to rising. The word fall means ruin or destruction. It doesn't mean getting knocked down and then getting up again. It means to fall permanently. Jesus will have the effect of many falling because they will not build their lives on Christ, the solid rock and cornerstone. Instead, they will trip over Him. He will be a sign that the proud sinners cannot stomach. I, I don't need to be rescued by someone who says they're king of kings but is born and placed in a lowly manger. I don't need to be rescued by someone who says they're God but ends up dying on a cross. They'll say, this king will be too lowly, too unexpected for them to bow their knee to him. Many will oppose him and insist on their own way. Simeon goes on to say to Mary, a sword will pierce even your own soul. To the end that many thoughts, excuse me, that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The word thoughts there means to dialogue within oneself. The picture here is of someone who's justifying their own actions, saying, I'm not really that bad. I'm not, sin's not really that difficult. God wouldn't really punish me for my sin, I'll be okay. It'll all work out in the end. And they rationalize over and over their rejection of Christ, their Savior and King. And a sword will pierce even Mary's soul. I can only imagine the difficulty of watching Jesus during His public ministry can you imagine being Jesus' mother as He faced constant ridicule, as He returned to Nazareth and the people from His hometown wanted to throw Him off of a hillside? As He went into Jerusalem and He was casting out demons on the way and people said He was casting out demons by the power of Satan. At Golgotha, 
as she stood next to the cross. And she heard the taunts and the jeers of the priests and the people. The anguish of Mary's soul must have been crushing. That little baby that she wrapped in swaddling claws to protect from the chill of a Middle Eastern night now hung before her on a cross, stripped of his clothes as the cold iron of a Roman soldier's sword pierced his side and confirmed for all to see that he was dead. And it must have seemed in that moment that God's promises had died as well. The light of the world had experienced human death, and in a moment, the world went dark. But I skipped a little word in verse 34, a word of hope. Many will fall over Jesus. Many will insist that He could not be the Savior. He was too weak, seemingly. But in verse 34, there's another little word. He'll be accountable. Many will fall over Him, and many will rise because of Him. The word rise is the word for resurrection. It's anastasis. And here is the promise of the Gospel. Jesus is a light of revelation. He will show you your sin and your need for a Savior. And all of those who stop their inner dialogue of trying to justify themselves and their sin and instead receive Jesus as a gift of God that will bring them peace and hope and comfort and light and life, they will be saved and though they die, they will like Simeon die in peace because they will be raised to life everlasting when He comes. You say, that's not my typical... Christmas Eve message. I was expecting that on Easter. Church, without the cross and the resurrection, Christmas doesn't matter. I'm concerned that many people celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas while forgetting why He came. He he was born to die. Christmas should lead us to do more than marvel at the sweet cries of a newborn baby. As compelling as that is. Christmas should also lead us not just to marvel at the cries of a newborn baby, but to weep over the severity of our own sin. To understand that following Jesus may be costly in this lifetime for us as well. A sword pierced Mary's soul, and at times it pierces our soul as well, does it not? As as culture declines as families divide over the gospel, as we endure ridicule or maybe not receive a promotion because of our faithfulness to Christ, time and again, costs will come to those who follow Christ as King. And yet we rejoice because we know He is coming again. And we know He will raise to life everlasting all who call upon the name of the Lord, turn from the sin, their sin, and are saved. In a few moments, we'll have the opportunity to participate, partake of the Lord's Supper as we remember that the King who came at Christmas came to give His life for you and me. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we give you praise for the gospel. We give you praise for the holy night of Jesus' birth. Just 30 years or so later, He would be our final Passover lamb. He would be broken so that our brokenness could be redeemed and that our sin could be forgiven and we would have purpose, meaning, joy in this life. And so God, 
As we hear this song in just a moment about the holy night of your birth, I, I pray, God, that you would cause us to pause and to reflect with a spirit of thanksgiving for bringing us through this past year. And also, God, a, a desire to, to live for you, to be like Simeon, to be led by the Spirit in 2021, to, to embrace you and welcome you as Savior God, to look for hope and comfort, not in the things of this world which grow strangely dim, but to look for hope and peace in Christ alone. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Church family, we're about ready to partake in the Lord's Supper. Uh, you're going to want to find the, the cup in your pew or under your chair, and you'll want to know that there are two seals. There's like a top, really clear, thin seal that, that accesses the wafer, and then a little more force to break that next seal to be able to drink the juice. I want to remind you that the meal we're about to share in is a meal for the people of God. It's a meal for those who know the consolation of Israel. It's, it's for those whose sins have been forgiven, who've trusted in Jesus, those who've been baptized as a public declaration of your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who, who belong to Christ, you've identified with Him, you are covenanted with Him and His people, then we want to welcome you to join us in partaking of this most important supper. A supper where we declare to ourselves and to one another and to Christ our King that the sword that He bore should have been ours. Having said that, if your confession this evening is that Jesus is the bread of life, that He is true fulfillment and nourishment, and that by His stripes we are healed, would you take that wafer and take and eat all of it? Secondly, if when you stand before the throne of God on the great day of judgment and you know that your plea will simply be that the blood of Jesus has made me clean, that by His sacrificial death and His death alone do I have any hope of mercy or salvation or standing before God. If, if that is your confession, then we invite you to take the crushed fruit of the vine and drink all of it. Our tradition here at North Roanoke is to conclude by singing Silent Night, and I invite um, my brothers that I asked earlier to, to come at this time and, and help me to uh, spread the light. We're going to sing Silent Night. Now, if you've been listening to any sermons over the last few weeks, you might, you might notice that I take a little bit of issue with Silent Night because Jesus cried like every other baby, and there were donkeys there and cows and sheep, so the night wasn't very silent, but... There is something about Jesus coming into the world that should silence our hearts. The glory of God, God made flesh, should, should quiet our minds and our hearts. And in that way, I think the night was silent. All those promises anticipated and being fulfilled by the birth of His Son. So I want to ask that you like Mary, you like Joseph, you like the shepherds, as I light the first candle from the Christ candle, might, might renew your commitment tonight to be captivated supremely by the glory and the mystery that God came down at Christmas to be Emmanuel, God with us.
Let's remain seated for a bit and let's sing together Silent Night. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so again, Silent Night. Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child. Amen. Would you bow with me? God, thank you for your favor. God, for sending Jesus, your son, at Christmas. I pray, God, your blessing upon every person who's here tonight, every family represented. Keep them safe in the days to come. And God, 
Keep our focus on Jesus Christ, the consolation of Israel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.